Hi, everyone. Welcome to the October 15th, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. And speaking of thanking, I want to thank my friend Patty Calhoun for sitting in for me last week. Thank you. I hope all the panel here enjoyed all of the the short, concise, insightful questions. They're out this week. I'm back here. So back to a long, drawn-out thing. So, Patty, thank you very much. My pleasure. Next time I'm bringing an hourglass, though. Those <laughs> clocks are a little tricky. You can see it certainly can be. Well, let's get to our first topic. Ballots were sent out to most Coloradans this week with various municipal issues in the ballot with a handful of statewide ballot issues. Campaigns are beginning to hit the airways, but the election season remains fairly quiet. Denver voters will have one of the larger ballots to consider in the state. So let's take a look at some of the big races across the state and in the metro area. Patty Calhoun from Westward, we'll start with you. Uh, as a Denver voter, you'll be spending more time with your ballot than I know I will as a Douglas County voter. But what are some of the big headlines sticking out to you that we really haven't heard a whole lot about uh, because it's been a little bit of a sleepy campaign? Well, we've certainly seen a lot of Federico Pena lately because he and Wellington Webb, Bill Ritter, um, Bill Owens are all for 119, which I would argue is a little more problematic than they make it think. It's adding more pot taxes that would go to some after school additional care for educational work for kids. But there's some, more, there's some problems with it. It's interesting how people are looking at pot now as a cash cow. We have Denver, a ballot measure in Denver that would raise the taxes on marijuana. In order to research the pandemic, which doesn't really seem like the city of Denver's job, you maybe want to make sure people obey public guidelines for the pandemic, but I'm not sure researching the pandemic is the way to go. And that is only one of the ones in Denver that are going to keep people looking at their ballot for a long time. There are 13 measures. They're the incredibly confusing Park Hill measures, the original one that was put forward that would take it to a vote if you were going to lift the conservation easement on Park Hill, the Park Hill Golf Course. And then the flip one, which basically takes all the same language but is very confuses the issue a lot. And I'm sure we'll get to more of those. But the arena issue, which is 2E, that was pulled out from the other bond issues, there are four bond issues that I think look like will go through for projects like parks and libraries, but the extra arena at National Western we were just talking about, um, kind of wonder what we what we voted for in 2015 that we now need to have another bond measure for that. So there are going to be a lot of reasons people are going to be sitting looking over that ballot. The group home issue is another big one in Denver that is trying to repeal work that was done for three years on group homes that would let, let more than two um, unrelated adults live in a home, which right now in Denver, Colorado, with the rents the way they are, is a pretty smart move and maybe even modern. <laughs> modern indeed. It's going to, I uh, feel, I'm glad that Denver voters have a, a, uh, a mail ballot so they can have plenty of time at their kitchen table or whatever it's going to be to make their decisions. Uh, David Copeland, the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, David, there's clearly a lot of issues in the Denver ballot, but statewide there's, there's three issues. Uh, how substantive are they? Uh, are they getting enough attention? Well, let, let's uh, just quickly follow on Patty's point about some of the, one of the Denver issues on the future of the Park Hill Golf Course and that deception counter uh, initiative, the proponents of keeping the Park Hill Golf Course as green space for the public have really good yard signs because they have a little green square that says 301 in it, and green is the color you'd like to keep Park Hill. And if you want 
construction zones, they have 302 is the orange one to get rid of the green and replace it with construction. So that that's what you need to know if you, depending on whether you want Park Hill Golf Course to be a public course for the people or built for a developer, the colors tell you which way to go. Statewide, of the three issues, the one that I think is really uh, deceptive, as Patty was talking about, is 119, which at the top level is raise marijuana taxes for preschool. And that's, of, of course, they describe it that way. A lot of people would be for, for that concept. But you get a $100 million permanent slush fund that is controlled not by the General Assembly, which should be appropriating money for preschools. The, all the money gets controlled by this seven-person board. The board is initially appointed by Governor Polis, and then for the, forever, it's a self-perpetuating board, and so the people have no input. The power of the purse is essential to democracy in a Republican form of government, and this would destroy that. So I would suggest people reject this one and then vote for something that comes back later where the taxpayers money is stays under the control of the taxpayers elected representatives penfield tate joins us attorney with tay law longtime state lawmaker uh pen a lot of issues in the never ballot a lot of issues uh just overall the entire area um what sticks out to you knowing full disclosure we we won't go into ones that you're actually working on but the ones that you're not working on what stand out to you you know there are a couple things i would submit to the particularly denver voters that the most important issue on the ballot is the one nobody's talking about that's the dps election probably the most important governmental function we have in our society is educating, training, and preparing our kids to be responsible adults as they move forward. And unfortunately, the only time we see something about DPS in the news, it's usually bad and awful, and we're shaking our heads saying, oh gosh, what happened now? But the composition of the DPS board is important. I would encourage everybody to take a look. You won't see any TV ads. The most you'll see is some literature in the mail. And there's this contest in terms of whether you are pro-charter, anti-charter, pro-teachers union, anti-teachers union. I just recommend everybody take a look, talk to your neighbors, read the material, figure it out. Some of the other ballot measures, um, you know, I, I, I... I don't have a problem with what the initiatives that raise the taxes on marijuana want to fund. I would just offer this cautionary tale from my experience as a legislator and being on the JBC. We need to look at potentially the unintended consequences of some of these measures. If you increase the taxes on something like marijuana, one of the things that concerns me is we've worked and worked and worked as a society to decriminalize and change sentencing laws and do a host of things to reduce prison populations and everything else. But if you make the price of a commodity too high, you may inadvertently create a a greater incentive to expand black market activity and criminal activity. Um, That's all I want to offer on that. Finally, on the Denver ballot measures, um, this whole arena thing has got everybody um, going crazy. Uh, Everywhere I go, people are saying, didn't we already pay for one arena? And the answer is sort of yes and sort of no. But um, I think it's no accident that city council pulled that one out from the package. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It's not inconceivable that voters vote yes on everything and no on the arena. 
Rannon at the panel. Join us remotely. Benta Berkland, political reporter with Colorado Public Radio uh, and a wonderful contributor to Purplish, uh, one of my favorite podcasts. If you have not uh, tuned in for uh, Purplish, I highly recommend it. Uh, Benta, you covered a lot of these issues at the state capitol, and now we've seen a little, a few of them on the state ba- on the statewide ballot and just kind of the politics in general. What stands out to you that we should, know, we should be uh, thinking more about? Well, I think we do have some interesting statewide ballot measures. Um, we have the three measures. One that was touched on that would increase sales tax for recreational marijuana to fund after-school programs. And then there's two other initiatives uh, statewide. One would give the state legislature authority for spending state money. So this is one-time money that comes in. If you think of the federal COVID relief package, uh, when that money came from the Colorado governor, Jared Polis decided how it would be spent. And so this initiative would make sure state lawmakers have that authority. Um, uh, opponents say it may not provide enough flexibility when there is a state of emergency or the legislature needs to act quickly. And, and another proposal would reduce the tax rate by 9% for most properties. Um, and that one will be a little bit tricky if it does pass because lawmakers proposed legislation during the session that would limit the scope of that proposal if voters do approve it. Let's get to our next topic. A Mesa County District Court judge ruled this week that Mesa County Clerk and Recorder Tina Peters cannot oversee this November's election, upholding a decision from Secretary of State Jenna Griswold. Mesa County has hired former Secretary of State Wayne Williams to oversee the upcoming election. Meanwhile, Peters said that she plans to appeal the decision and call the situation an abuse of office and an overreach by Griswold. Uh, David, uh, Mesa County's been uh, drama for a while. What do you make of uh, Peters' comments and her plan to appeal? Well, let, let's remember that this is not just a case of Democratic Secretary of State Griswold versus Republican Mesa County Clerk Peters. Other interveners in the case are the Mesa County Board, Mesa County Board of Commissioners, who are Republicans. And on this issue, they are on the same side as Griswold, that Peters has to be, uh, is should no longer, and is not, the chief designated election officer uh, in Mesa County for the 2021 election. So it, it, it shouldn't be seen as a partisan thing. Um, I, I think Judge Robinson's uh, district court decision was co- probably correct as a matter of law, but this will be quickly appealed to the Colorado Court of Appeals. And actually, the opinion uh, from Judge Robinson is is quite weak um, in, in getting to what I think is a correct result. A lot of it is really just copying, almost cut and paste, not quite, uh, from the Attorney General's brief. And you say, well, if the Attorney General wrote a good brief for the Secretary of State, what's wrong with that? What's wrong is you're supposed to, as a judge, in your opinion, discuss the best arguments on the other side and why you didn't find them persuasive. Instead, Judge Robinson just drops this footnote to the effect of, I'm not going to talk about all the contentions and arguments of, of Peters uh, because she's a liar or untruthful in the judge's words, which is true. Clearly, she, she was untruthful at parts in this uh, process, including lying to the Secretary of State. But even a party who lies is entitled to have the judge explain why the legal arguments the party makes are not correct. And Judge Robinson was too timid or whatever to even try to do that. Penn, there's a lot of legal sides to this, but I also see that it's increased politicization. And we've seen politics get into everything. I think at this point, it, it would come down to how you pick peanut butter at the grocery store. We can find, probably find a way if you want a, the blue kind or the red kind. But 
politicizing clerks and recorders in Colorado is an entirely different thing. And I'm wondering if you think Peters is going to be uh, an anomaly or if she's going to set a trend. Uh, I think she's going to be an anomaly. And and here is why. I I agree with David. Um, The Mesa County commissioners agreed with um, the secretary of state. Uh, in terms of pursuing the case, I think the judge's decision is correct, uh, and it's the right result. Uh, I agree with, with David's point also, and I wouldn't say it quite so strongly, but sometimes rather than say someone's just wrong, you ought to, it helps if a judge articulates in the opinion why they're wrong, because it sort of sets the case up a little more clearly for the Court of Appeals. And quite frankly, it forces someone like Tina Peters to take a look at it and say, gee whiz, do I really want to appeal this? And the law, law firm to say, gee whiz, do we really want to appeal this? At the end of the day, she brought this on herself. You know, her, clearly her conduct was beyond the bounds of propriety. Then she had the audacity to run away and hide for a while um, and not fess up to it. So this is all of her own making. And I think it's unique to her, her personality and just sort of her political perspective. It's no coincidence that no other clerk or recorder in the state has engaged in any behavior like this. So I don't think she's part of an emerging trend. I think she's an anomaly, and it's just her being her, and we're not going to have to worry about it too much longer. Benta, with Wayne Williams installed, do you think the, the drama will begin to subside in Mesa County? There's still a lot more that's going to unfold here, potentially. The district attorney and the FBI are investigating Peters and some other people associated with this alleged security breach for potential criminal charges. And if you remember, Peters says she invited what she refers to as a consultant to access the Dominion election equipment during this annual upgrade because she said she did not trust that the state would update the machines properly and didn't want data to get destroyed. And that'll be the basis of her appeal. Um, Audits of Dominion in Colorado and other states have found no discrepancies in their vote tallies. But from some of the election experts I've been talking to as I've been covering this, They do see this as potentially a trend and that more county clerks will be running for office and getting elected in 2022 who who do feel that the 2020 election was was stolen and want to try to prove that through some of their own actions, which experts would say that's called an insider security threat. So I definitely have learned not to try to predict the future, but I don't think this will be the end of um, us covering this topic. And I I think there's a lot more that's going to unfold here as the months progress. Uh, Patty, while we usually love drama here at this table, to cover it at the very least, it does seem like we have elected leaders here who also are enjoying the fight and the coverage. Uh, Do you think that might extend the story a little bit more? It'll get extended because we've got an election coming up. It's interesting. You have Wayne Williams, who did lose his secretary of state seat to Jenna Griswold, coming in, a steady guy, the person who oversaw Dominion coming in and being used in Colorado, at least. But this story has everything. It's not as though the Mesa County commissioners are Antifa members. I mean, you've got Scott McGinnis for these are very conservative people, so that they say she is not fit to run this election. That's significant. The only thing we're missing here is Mike Lindell to come in with pillowcases full of cash to run all those county clerks up, uh, you know, the Renegade County clerks, if they want to run against each other. And maybe now that Dog the Bounty Hunter is back in Colorado from Florida, he can go solve what really happened in Mesa County. That's the only guy who's missing from this so far. 
<laughs> feels like we're going to be hosting a reality show all-star <laughs> team covering this issue. Uh, let's get to our next topic. Senator Michael Bennett reported this week that his campaign raised more than $2 million in the third quarter of this year. The seven Republicans running for the GOP nomination to compete against him have yet to file fundraising reports. Meanwhile, GOP candidate for governor Heidi Ganahl announced she raised over $137,000 in September and that her campaign manager is stepping down after planning to do so after the end of the third quarter. Uh, Penn, you're uh, not a full-on consultant for political parties, but if the GOP, uh, the state GOP uh, party brought you in and said, um, <coughs> what can you help us make from these headlines, um, what do you make of them? Uh, I would tell the seven um, potential candidates running for the Senate seat against Michael Bennett to come together. Let's put all your financial reports together. Collectively, you all don't have a million dollars, two million dollars that you've raised. We got to pick one person, focus on them, uh, come up with a coherent message that isn't too extreme because I still think Colorado's in purple territory. I still think the the seats can flip either way. But uh, if you want to take Bennett out, you've got to focus on something in particular he's done wrong. And I think in Colorado, echoing the, 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 the refrain of the prior president isn't going to get you there. Um, so you've got to have a good candidate, a good message, an issue, and money. And I'm not certain that between the seven of them they have it. With regard to Heidi Ganahl, um I'll just say, well, you know, peace be with you and, and keep trying. I, you know, the reality is, uh, again, I don't think Polis has made any major missteps to run, to run on. Um, and, and I think that in the eyes of many, he's perceived as a good governor in terms of how he's handled the pandemic. He's been pretty aggressive. He's been pretty straightforward. He's been dumping tons of, of, of the, the relief money to colleges and universities around the state and other programming, and he's not been too extreme with some of the mandates. And so, I, again, I don't know what your hook is to take him out. But, you know, it's America. you got a right to run. So, you know, I just tell her just temper your expectations and have fun. Benza, you've covered politics in Colorado for a long time. When you see numbers like this, and we're still a year away from the election, so this is not, you know, it's not this year's election. It's a year away. But what do you take away from numbers and news like this? Um, first, I would just note, I, I think we have eight candidates now running. Someone just filed some paperwork yesterday. So um, I think we'll have to see who emerges from that primary. But certainly when we're going into the midterm elections with Democrats in power in Washington, Um, I think there will be a little bit of a referendum on the Biden administration, and uh, we'll be looking for the themes around economic recovery and COVID response and government spending. I think, you know, certainly Democrats will be pretty unified, and we've seen some fracturing among Republicans. So um, I, I think a lot of it will depend on the message. Polis does have a lot of money for his campaign, and I think it's going to be tough for anyone to oust him in 2022. Patty, to Penn's point, uh, incumbents can be defeated in Colorado, but I think it would be fair to say you need the perfect campaign. Cory Gardner ran the perfect campaign against Mark Udall, and Mark Udall helped him a little bit. Um, I don't know if we're seeing any perfect campaigns being built right now, but it's a long time. What do you think from what we've heard this week? Well, that filing yesterday really screwed up the theme, which would be Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, because they have no money. Bennett has a huge amount of money. He'll continue to get money. And 
his record isn't bad in the Senate. I mean, there are not a lot of things for people to attack him on personally. They can attack Biden. They can attack the Democrats in general. But Bennett has done a lot of a lot of hard work in the Senate. It's not his fault that the Colorado's second senator is also a white guy who went to Wesleyan. I mean, that wasn't his fault that Hickenlooper became the next senator. Bennett's been there doing a good, solid job, I think, for the state. You could have a strong competition if you had one good candidate who had a lot of funding, but we don't see that happening yet. David, wrap it, up, wrap it up for us. Well, of course Michael Bennett's very good at raising money. That's one of the reasons he was appointed in the first place, because almost every governor who's appointing uh, someone to fill a senatorial vacancy wants to appoint someone who is so good at fundraising that that appointed senator can take care of himself or herself and raise enough money for future reelections. On top of that, Bennett was head of the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee in 2014, which means he raised money all over the country for Democrats all over the country. So he knows a lot of people who have money to give, and he's good at getting that money out of their pocket and into his. Uh, so, I, in fact, he's probably the greatest Colorado political fundraiser in history, maybe except for Gary Hart's 1984 presidential campaign. Uh, so whatever happens in 2022, if Michael Bennett loses, it will not because he didn't have the resources. Uh, it won't be because he didn't have the resources to get out his message. So a quick take on this last one, because the author of the story is with us uh, remotely. Allies of, the former President, uh, allies of former President Trump are utilizing a relatively new Colorado law to ask a judge to dismiss a defamation lawsuit brought by a former employee of Dominion Voting Systems. Eric Coomer has, has filed a defamation lawsuit against the Trump campaign and associates over claims that he rigged the election. Uh, Benta, you, you uh, broke the story. Tell us about what we need to know and this Colorado law that's involved. Yeah, so one of the big questions during this hearing was um, what do news outlets and public figures have to determine uh, in terms of a claim, whether or not it's true before they repeat it, especially if that claim has a power to really uh, kind of wreck someone's life or make it really difficult. And so for, for Kumar, um, what his side has to do is show that the statements made about him, not the that they were just false and hurt his reputation, but that they were made maliciously. And the defendants, the pro-Trump media outlets and allies are saying they were exercising their constitutional right to speak out on an issue of public concern and that they did not have to verify the original claims, which came from a conservative activist, Joe Altman from Douglas County. He alleged that he infiltrated an Antifa call with Denver Antifa members and heard Eric from Dominion say that he would make sure Trump wouldn't win the election. Um, Eric Coomer has vehemently denied being on the Antifa call, and we haven't seen a, a lot of evidence beyond what Altman has said uh, about this call. So this hearing wasn't the trial of the defamation case. It was just the judge will make a decision at some point about whether the defamation case can move forward. We're running out of time, but I'll allow for any quick takes. Patty, quick take on this? Well, amazingly, that here's this local story, because Coomer was with Dominion, which is based here, and you have Joe Altman, who, who spread this rumor, which was just a crazed rumor in the first place. You have it picked up by Giuliani. You have it picked up by Sidney Powell. And you have these, this cast of characters now in a Denver courtroom. So we will have several more months of this. David, your quick take? 
this, the new statute that's relevant is Colorado Revised Statutes 13-20-1101, and it says in a libel case that involves uh, free speech, public affairs, the defendant can move at an early stage for a motion to dismiss, but the plaintiff can defeat that by showing there's a reasonable likelihood that the plaintiff will prevail on the claim. Uh, so as long as the judge thinks there's a reasonable likelihood the plaintiffs are going to win on the, the merits, uh, the case doesn't go away. Ben. You know, for the layperson, I mean, here's the bottom line, and it's going to be interesting how the judge resolves this. Um, everybody's talking about malice, but at what point does saying something you know or reasonably knew is not true, how is that not malicious? How is it not malicious to lie about somebody? Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week, uh, but let's make it quick. Patty. It has been three years. It is time for Cronky to make a deal so we can get the the sports shows back on cable. You're here. David. The Denver media has completely neglected to cover the case of uh, Jose Manriquez, a veteran Denver police officer who had natural immunity to COVID and was forced to take the vaccine by Mayor Hancock's edict and now is having trouble walking and can't perform his job. I'm not saying that means vaccines are a net loss, uh, but the media's shame on the media for refusing to even tell that story. Penn. Congress. Democrats cut a deal to move Biden's agenda forward. Republicans quit pretending that January 6th never happened. Benta. Political here, but this made national news. The elk near Pine, Colorado, that had somehow lodged a car tire around its head and had been living with this tire around his head for two years. Does that say something nice about somebody? Patty. Uh, downtown uh, Lodo, the Lodo district, which is doing really well, had a great award ceremony last night. I was honored with the Manny Salzman Award. If you ever knew a Manny Salzman, a great Colorado character. A well-deserved award, Patty. David. My, my heartiest good wishes for the long life and good health of Queen Elizabeth II and President Joseph Biden, because even though one might criticize some of the actions they've taken in their roles, the people who stand behind them to succeed them uh, are of much lower quality. Pen. To Patty Calhoun, congratulations on your award. Richly deserved. There you are. And Benton, we go to you. Back to the elk. Colorado Parks and Wildlife finally removed this tire after two years. So I think that's a good thing for the elk. I, I wholeheartedly agree. In a state like Colorado, we should not have any elk walking around with a tire around their neck for over a year. I want to give a quick shout-out to one of our guests joining us in the control room, Tom Corson, a longtime fan of the show and uh, uh, always uh, reaching out to us. We're great. It's, it's great to have you here, and we're glad you can join us. Well, that is all the time we have for Colorado Inside Out tonight. For everybody here at PBS 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night. Thank you.